What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my boy, Ryan Clark. And Ryan, before we get into where you are, what you're doing, because you're never uh, at home, you're always on the road, I got to tell you guys what's coming up on the show. We're going to dig into the UFC 288, and as always, we tap in or we tap out. RC, it's UFC 288 week, so I'm in front of the billboard. I'm here in, in Newark, New Jersey. Where are you at, my guy? Well, you know, I'm in L.A. right now, and I'm actually stuck in the corner of a hotel room, um, just making sure that I can get here to D.C. and R.C. I had some people tweet me yesterday to ask when the show was coming out, but I wanted to give a quick shout out, D.C. Joey Porter Jr. was just drafted to the Pittsburgh Steelers and that emotional moment that he shared with his father, Joey Porter Sr., who we called Peasy when I played with the Pittsburgh Steelers, was going was circulating around social media. And I posted it and, you know, we DM'd back and forth. And the first thing he says to me is, uh, after saying thank you for me telling him about, you know, how excited I was that he was drafted was, I love the UFC and I really enjoy the podcast that you have with DC. So now knowing that Junior <laughs> is a fan of the show, I just want to give him a shout out, tell him I appreciate the support, much as we appreciate the support of all the fans. And listen, go Steelers, man. We got us two first rounders with our first two picks. Nice. This guy right here, man, listen, man, you played for a different, you didn't just play for the Steelers, bro. Like I understand that the, the, the black and the gold has a special place in your heart, black and yellow. But you got to show love to the Redskins and the other teams you play for, Ryan. You just can't be that guy that goes, I won a Super Bowl with the Steelers, so I'm just a Pittsburgh Steeler guy. Like, come on, man. You got to do better, bro. It's not like, bro, it's, it's not like hey, I don't... Hey, hey, like, I'm not like you. I'm not like you, right? I'm not like you where you just bounce around and tell lies and are a different person every single week with whatever guest that we have on. I'm very grateful to New York. I'm very grateful to Washington. But you know how it is, man. You may have trained in other gyms yeah, 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 and yeah. done different things, yeah, yeah, but yeah, your yeah. gym is the one you love. And for me, the Steelers are my gym. Yeah, and you know what, man? Honestly, like, I, I always think about you in that Steeler uniform, uh, you know, bashing, running into dudes, being so reckless. For a guy that actually is very reserved in, in the way that you move in life, the way you played football is completely opposite of who you are as a man as I've gotten to know. <laughs> All right. Is UFC 288? Is UFC 288 week? We're going to get into that. But first off, bro, yesterday, your boy John Jones is making news again. A couple weeks ago, he said something about retiring. But then he pulled it back and said, I'll come back. But then... If you look at John's quote here, he said, one fight will be plenty for me. I feel like I don't really have much to prove after beating Stipe. I've been in the game a long time, and I've been fighting for years. I'm an old guy now. What do you make of John Jones saying he has one left? Because the reality is it was three years. He comes back. He wins yeah. the heavyweight championship. And now he's saying he's going to walk away after this fight against Miocic. Well, doesn't it seem if you can be away from fighting for three years that the love for fighting is different? The need to fight is different. You're looking at fighting for different challenges or for challenges that get you out of bed and get you excited. Moving up to heavyweight and having an opportunity to be the champ of two different divisions, I think that was something that excited John Jones. And now he was able to do that. You look at the Stipe Miocic fight and you're getting to fight who many consider, and at least the statistics say, is the greatest heavyweight of all time in the UFC. And then for John Jones, it's what's next? What's next to prove? Many believe that I'm the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. And so for him, it's like, what's that next step? DC, you were a guy that fought into your 40s and you had accomplished a ton of things as well. You were already on your way to being a UFC Hall of Famer. What were or what was the why that continued or that made you continue fighting? And why did you eventually get to a point to say, you know what? I have no more to prove. It's enough for me. You know, I don't think it came down to having anything more to prove. It was just done, right? Like when you're not, when you're a guy that, that, that wants to be the best in the world and only lives to be the best in the world, when you are no, when you know you're not the best in the world anymore, you walk away from the game. But for Jones, he's still the best in the world. And as you said, he was excited about 
the idea of going to fight at heavyweight. It was a, the challenge and something that scared him. But do you think that maybe it was it was easier than he may have thought? He got through Cyril Gunn, so yeah. he's just like... It was well, really easy, this bro. This is what it God is. Like, where, yeah, it's like, where, <laughs> where's that challenge, right, RC? Like, where's that thing that scares yeah. me? Because that's what Jones spoke about before the fight, being scared again, something that was dangerous. And maybe he doesn't feel that. Maybe he doesn't feel like that is going to be his every day at heavyweight. But I feel like uh, I would like to see him continue to fight. I would like to see him fight guys like Sergei Pavlovich. I would like to see him in yeah. there with Stipe Miocic. And I do believe that there are some challenges for John Jones. I did not expect the Cyril Gunn fight to go in the way that it did, even though it was always a possibility. But that isn't his hardest DC. fight. I thought it was. It's right. not his hardest fight, though. There's a couple out there still. But, D but DC, think about this, right? When you guys were light heavyweights, light heavyweight was a murderous row of legendary mixed yeah. martial arts names. You know, and as he got yep. toward the end of his reign in light heavyweight, that was when you had to fight the the, the Silvas and the, the Reyes and, you know, some of these guys mm, who the didn't necessarily get your blood cooking like that. And that's why he moved up. And so then you look at the heavyweight division and you beat Cyril Ghosn, mm -hmm. who many thought was going to be a challenge for you, who didn't lay a hand on you, right? You've had sparring sessions that were more intense than that. Well, harder, you barely yep. break a sweat. And then now you got Stipe Miocic and you're saying Sergei Pavlovich. And we know what type of run this dude is on. We know that he's 18 and one. We know that he's putting people to sleep the in the first it. round. But that's not that that's not a name you like the dude. The dude was playing the slot machine before he fought Curtis Blades. Right. And nobody <laughs> even walked up to him. That ain't a name people care about. Yeah, but John dude. Jones does say that they say that there's one caveat to what he's saying about maybe hanging it up after the Stipe Miocic fight. And what he says is, he says, I do believe a Francis fight would be worth entertaining and not retiring. He's very well known. It would bring a lot of money. And for that, I would be willing to come back. So he basically stated everything that we uh -huh. are seeing now, John, uh, uh, D Daniel. And when you look at what that means and what that fight is, it almost feels to me like that was always the fight he was moving up for. And now that that kind yes. of went away or Francis is no longer a part of the organization, it took a little bit of that fire from him. Do you think that it's worth staying around for, for and that Francis would benefit as well from coming back to the UFC oh. to fight John Jones if he beats Stipe Miocic? You know, Ryan... When you say it like that, right, when you remind me of him saying, dude, when I was standing across the octagon from Vitor and Rashad and DC yes. and Rampage and all these dudes, he was like, man, that was scary. It woke me up. And then you start to see those different names, right? You see uh, Thiago Santos and you see uh, yeah, Santos, uh, yeah. um, Dominic Reyes and those guys. And he's like, eh, that doesn't really get my blood boiling. And then when you see Francis gone and you start to look down the line, it's his M.O. This really has become Jones's M.O. He'll fight Stipe because Stipe has the name value. And then he says, you know what, man, I'm not going and fighting these guys that I can sometimes maybe be underprepared because I don't respect them in yeah. that way. So in that regard, it's smart of Jones to walk away. Francis, even again, I'll fight Francis. Francis is popular. He's the man. He's the world champ. Everybody knows him. It's going to make money. So it has, it seems like Jones is at a place in his life where it has to make sense. And how does it make sense? The dollars add up. So that leads me to this, right? Francis left. And Francis would have seemed to have been in a position that would be able to cash in. But I got to ask you this because I know I have my opinions on it. Do you feel when you look at this from the outside, did Francis overplay his hand? Because as time passes, it seems to get worse because every day we see another organization saying we're out on Francis Ngannou. And how much does it upset you that these organizations almost uh, uh, take away from Francis Ngannou? Hey, man, 
Hey, look, another guy that's fighting this weekend. Look at this guy. There he Sit down on my lap. Durinio. <laughs> there he is. This guy. Durinio. There he is. Hey, so that dude loud. fights anybody. Hey, you better. You got to slow down. These guys so DC, hey, you better be careful. He said, He'll he take said, a fight with you right now. <laughs> he said, you'll fight anybody. You might even fight me. Yeah, You're fight smarter him, than dude. that. He's so loud. Hey, you smarter than that, Durino. Because you know, look, you see this right here? Look, hey, you feel that? You, know, you couldn't submit me. me. I'm a two-degree black belt. <laughs> hey, this guy right here told me, this guy told me preparation's never easy, but he didn't have that much trouble at UFC 287, RC. Good luck this weekend, champ. You're the yeah, man. Yeah, RC. <laughs> hey, this guy, hey, this guy right here is the man, RC. You see that afro on the kid? His kid's got that too. Hey, DC. kid's got the same haircut. DC, do you know why? Bro, do you know why you've never been submitted? And I was looking at this as we were preparing for the show. Bro, no you ain't got no neck. no neck. Yeah. Like, how do you <laughs> how do you rear naked choke a person with zero esophagus? Like, it's impossible. You know the little monsters on, like, on the video game? Them little monsters on the video game where they shoulders up right by their ears? That's me. I have no yeah. neck. I don't get hey. submitted. It, my arms are like, bro, I have shorter arms and lightweights. Like, what are you, how are you going to armbar me? What are you going to armbar? Like, I have nothing to submit, bro. It's like, the craziest thing in the world. <laughs> I have nothing to I submit. Forget. What are we talking like, about? What are you going to submit? What I have no arms. About? I have no neck. Oh, We're no, I was Francis. asking you if it upsets you, you. Yes, I, I was asking you if it, do you feel like he overplayed his hand? And I was asking, does it upset you that almost like all these organizations are almost it seems like they're doing it like, oh, dude, I swear to God, RC, it seems like almost like what we saw with Lamar Jackson. It's almost like everybody was like, yep, hey, let's, I was let's thinking the same thing. The same approach. It really feels like it's almost the same thing, RC. And it's it's become very public as well. That was the thing mm -hmm. that was strange about Lamar. As soon as Lamar was given the non-exclusive franchise tag, every team that we knew needed a quarterback was like, we don't want him. We don't want Lamar. And we're seeing the same things from these different organizations with Francis Ngannou. And I do believe some of the Tyson Fury talk may have lured Francis away from the UFC. He started uh -huh. to believe that he was a bit more popular or a bit more famous than he actually was. And you also know this, DC. You can be a great fighter. You can be an exciting fighter, but that doesn't mean that the public and the fans will view you and clamor for you the way that they do other people, right? Francis Ngannou was not Conor McGregor. Francis Ngannou is not Israel Adesanya. Francis Ngannou is not Daniel Cormier. He's not John Jones. And I think just because you're winning, you start to feel that way and see what these other people are doing. And Francis did overplay his hand a little bit. Let's think about this, DC. People are, are going into the UFC Hall of Fame who are true legends. When the Daniel Cormier's, the Habib Nurmagomedov's, the Anderson Silva's, when those are the sort of names that are retiring from this sport, and going into the UFC Hall of Fame, you think to yourself, man, the game is really going to miss them. And as great as all of you guys are and were, it don't. The game don't miss you. No. Right? They, they, they find it a way, and Dana White finds a way to keep it moving. And that's what seems like happening to Francis Ngannou, bro. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks, too, because Francis was the man, right? And he leaves, and now it seems like the options are very limited because everybody, even to, now he's responding to the, uh, he responded to one championship this morning saying they're being two-faced and everything. But I'm telling you, RC, it felt like, it felt like the same thing was happening to Lamar. Like, I'm watching teams that are going, I'm like, you don't have a quarterback, but you're not interested in Lamar Jackson. This guy was the MVP of the NFL. It made no sense. And to me, it's the same thing. But ultimately, Lamar Jackson ends up back in Baltimore. I believe that's what Francis Ngannou should do. Francis Ngannou should just come back. Because the reality is this. The money that he was offered, I've heard, was a very lucrative number. If he comes back, nothing changes. He walks right back into being in the heavyweight title picture, fighting for the championship, getting paid at that championship level and rate. He doesn't lose much in that regard. And it's just like Lamar. See, Lamar ended up getting the biggest contract ever until... Jalen Hurts got his, but it's like you 
you sometimes have to just bite the bullet and go, man, you know what? I'm going to go back to what's familiar because you and I both agree that there are some very dangerous fights for him in the boxing arena. So while you may cash in one time, it may not be sustainable. And he's also 36 years old. So he doesn't have much time. Yep. He hasn't fought since last yeah. February or January. It's 36 years old. Time is of the essence for Francis Ngannou, so he needs to get busy. He's one of my buddies, so I hope it all works out for him. Now, Ryan, that's one title fight. Uh, John Jones, Stipe Miocic, Jones thinking about retiring, which I hope does not happen. Another title fight is scheduled to go up in Canada. Amanda Nunes was going to fight your girl, Juliana Pena, yeah. again. Pena's out. Bro, Pena right. wanted that fight so bad. She insisted she got that rematch. She got it. She's out. In steps Irene right. Aldana. Bro, this fight, to me, is a difficult fight because Aldana is a big striker that Amanda Nunes yep. is going to maybe have some trouble with because generally she's the bigger fighter. She's not going to be the bigger fighter when she's in there with Aldana. How do you look at this new matchup? And how disappointing is it that you don't get to see Juliana try to get that back from Amanda Nunes? Well, I mean, I think the thing that we need to say first and foremost, DC, is that you didn't want Juliana Pena to get the rematch anyway. You didn't feel oh like my she deserved it. And so I think <laughs> at least as far as as far as that goes, you get your way in that. Maybe some of that Dana White privilege wow. uh, that you've had throughout wow. your career and post. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. You're amazing. I mean, when, like you're actually amazing. Like I'm sitting here trying. I'm, I'm actually sitting here trying not to respond. And then you keep going and going and going. Like, were you just like a kid from Marrero, dog? Like just on the playground picking. That's just ridiculous. I cannot no, believe I, you. <laughs> I was just saying, I know that for you, you never thought she deserved this opportunity. And so oh, this makes sense. God. This is probably the fight that you believe should have already been, you know, been on the card was uh, Eldonia. But when you look at it, right, she's won four of her last five fights. It's going to be a fight that's going to be heavy striking. And the last time we probably saw Amanda Nunes in this position was her fight against Cyborg. You know, everybody... Looks at that fight. Cyborg was a fighter who could come in at, at, at a bigger at a bigger size on fight night than Amanda Nunes. And she went straight on the attack. If you remember in that fight, Amanda Nunes didn't wait. Amanda Nunes didn't counter strike. She was the aggressor. And I expect to see the same thing from her in this fight. It's going to be Eldonia's willingness to stay in the pocket and strike with Amanda Nunes hoping that she finds a way to stun her, hoping she finds a way to put her on her heels so she can now go in the attack. I'm excited and probably more excited about this matchup than I was the Juliana Pena matchup. I'm excited about it in this regard, RC. We get a striker that has all the tools to fight Amanda in that type of fight. What made Juliana so special is that she's so damn tough. She will walk through the fire to get to Nunez and try to wear out. But what we saw in the last fight was Amanda kind of got a beat on her, her movements, right? She was able to counter her over and over. And Juliana didn't respond great to Amanda going southpaw. What you have in Aldana, though, is a person that can fight her at her range and a person that can match her in the boxing. My biggest question for Aldana is how does she manage when she gets hit? Because that's the first thing you got to do with Amanda Nunez. You got to be okay with dealing with the power coming back in your direction and not going yeah. into a shell. Because if you go into a shell, she's going to really <laughs> just steamroll you. So you got to make sure that you're yeah. willing to go through the fire if you want an opportunity. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. 
Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Now that's another matchup that we got coming up on the books title fight. But we're here for a reason, man. We are in Newark, New Jersey for a reason. It's UFC 288 as Henry Cejudo, Triple C is back, trying to take the belt from Aljamain Sterling. We have been talking about this one for a really long time. It is finally upon us, Ryan Clark. We have the two best bantamweights in the world colliding for the championship. What is the excitement level for you as these two get ready to step in the octagon? Bro, it's I'm excited and I'm also curious because, listen, DC, we got to see John Jones back in the octagon after a three-year layoff. We're going to be seeing a similar thing with Triple C stepping back into the octagon to fight Aljermaine Sterling that truly has been dominant as the bantamweight champion, especially recently. And, you know, you can see these guys. We've saw the, seen the interaction between the two in the hotels. There's been so much trash talk since this fight has been made. And now it finally all comes to a head on Saturday night in New Jersey. And I actually don't know what to expect. I expect Aljermaine Sterling to be prepared. I expect Henry Cejudo to be the fighting savant that we've known him to be. But what will he be physically? Will he be as quick as he normally was? Will those reactions of the world-class wrestler still be there who became a striker that we watched put out TJ Dillashaw within seconds? I'm as excited about what this matchup can possibly be as I am to see what or who Henry Cejudo now is as a fighter, and can he reclaim the bantamweight championship from Aljamain Sterling, who looks to be in the prime of his career? There, there, are, there are a number of stories that go into this fight that I love. One, Henry Cejudo's back. I don't believe that he should have walked away when he did because I thought that there were a lot of great fights for him. But he did, and that is our reality today. Another thing that I am so excited about is Aljamain Sterling, a guy who has long been underappreciated as a champion, RC, getting an opportunity to, if he can beat Henry Cejudo, he fully will, he fully will have completed the journey of beating every champion, right? Because Aljo beat yeah. TJ Dillashaw after he had left with the belt. Aljo beat, uh, he beat uh, Piotr Jan after he won the he belt on the way that he won the belt. Yep. Now he has an opportunity to fight Cejudo, who once again left with the belt. If he can do this, there will be no more questioning Aljamain Sterling and his validness as the champion of the world because people still want to question whether or not this guy's the man. But I will tell you this. While Henry Cejudo has been gone, no one prepares like him, Ryan. I was in Phoenix a couple weeks ago. I sat with Triple C. We go through his notepad. Ryan, while well, certain guys go to practice and they just get ready to fight, Henry Cejudo is not, bro. He has peaking phases to the number. He has taken his training from six to eight to three, all leading to Saturday, Ryan. Ryan, this kid preparing himself like he's trying to become an Olympic gold medalist again. And Ryan, you know what's most impressive about Cejudo and the way that he trains? From ups and downs to the rest, everything builds to Saturday. Every Saturday, Ryan, this dude puts on his gloves. He puts on his headgear. He walks to the octagon and he fights. He simulates the fights as if he's fighting in Newark every time. And Ryan pays his, his teammates to try to cut him, give him a black eye or something because he wants them to have something to fight for so that they're giving him everything they can inside the octagon. These two are going to be so prepared for the fight come this weekend because, hell, Aljo's fighting against Marab every day in the gym. Yeah, DC, I do, I do have a question for you. We've watched or I watch a lot of Henry Cejudo's takes on other fighters. And when I watch those takes, yep. I watch it very much in the same vein that I watch you when you, when you used to do detail or when you're telestrating or doing touch screens during fights. How much of an advantage 
does Henry Cejudo have in training for this fight and being prepared for this fight? Because he's been able to step away and train other fighters and analyze the game from a different perspective. I think that is honestly one of the things that stood out to me most about Cejudo because this kid started competing at a high level at a young age, RC, and he said that that fire kind of went out. But it was while preparing Zhang Wei Li, who became world champ, preparing Davidson Figueredo, who became world champ, helping Yuri Prohaska prepare it, became world champ, working with John Jones. It was in those moments that he's working with those high-level athletes still preparing for those big moments is when he goes, I'm still this good. I can still do this at a high level. And he's like, I'm coming back. And then you saw him start to lose weight because he was a little he was a little heavy for a while, you know, a little pudge ball. He started to thin out. He started to get more serious. He wasn't playing no more. He was more serious and more yeah. focused and getting better. But, dude, it is a massive advantage because he was able to remove himself from being an athlete, sit there as a coach. And, and Ryan, one of the things about coaching, and you know this as a guy, you may be a better DB today, minus the speed and, and all that, than you were when you were even competing. Because every time you teach something, you're doing another you know rep. different. And another rep. Yeah. And another rep. And you can look at it so differently. And I think that is honestly what has helped Cejudo feel so confident going into this fight this weekend. You know, DC, when you look at both of these fighters, wrestling is such a large part of the way they approach each and every opponent. When you look at who has the advantage in the grappling in this fight, who are you thinking can use that part of their game to dominate or to best the other? I think, obviously, when Henry Cejudo's in a wrestling situation, I think he's a better wrestler. Uh, mixed martial arts is different. But I do give the advantage to Sterling on the ground in terms of the grappling. Just straight jujitsu. I think Aljamain Sterling is a handful for anyone. Whenever he can get you down, and trust me, Ryan, as a guy that wrestled in the Olympics too, I've been taken down. So it can happen to you inside the octagon. I think Sterling would hold the advantage in the straight jujitsu. But in the transitions, in the wrestling transitions, I would favor Cejudo. But this is, this is why this fight is so special. Because there are so many different levels and so many different things that go into the play in this matchup between these two. Sterling's a bigger guy. Sterling's taller. Sterling's longer. How does Cejudo deal with that type of wrestling offense coming in his direction? Because Aljamain is going to try to take him down to put himself ahead in the fight. How does Cejudo fight from behind? If he gets behind in the fight, how does Aljo fight from behind? If he gets behind in the fight, there are a number of questions that got to be answered between these two. But the only time you have these types of questions, RC, is when you have a real even matchup. Now think... Yeah. Regardless of what Cejudo tells you, he will tell you to your face. He'll say it behind your back. He doesn't think Sterling has anything for him. Regardless of what he'll tell you, this is an even matchup between the two best in the world. You know, you look at this fight and you said it's an even matchup between the two best in the world. And there's so much on the line as far as legacy for both of these fighters with all of the great storylines. Where does a win for Aljermaine Sterling put him on the bantamweight GOAT conversation? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here and, you know, Team Cejudo's in here and they're right behind the camera and I'm saying it's like this and these guys are going, it's like this, <laughs> it's like this, right? Captain <laughs> Eric, you know, the dude loves to talk, right? He's over here. He's trying to tell me that it's a big gap. I don't agree. But when we talk about legacy, right? Henry Cejudo is already considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. He's a double champion. He's done all these things. But I will tell you this right now without one question. Aljamain Sterling wins this fight this weekend. He's the greatest bantamweight I've seen. Because for everything that we have seen, it's about sustaining it. He will have defended that belt four times. People don't do that. Dominic Cruz is widely considered the greatest bantamweight of all time. Henry beat him. If Aljamain Sterling can win this fight, he already has the longest winning streak in the Bantamweight history. He will have defended the belt four times. Nobody's done that. He starts to put himself in a position where 
Talking about what he's doing today isn't enough anymore. We got to start talking in historical terms when it comes to Aljamain Sterling. And you know what, man? This kid deserves it. Because through all the fire, through all the bad things that he's had to deal with in becoming the champion, he stayed proud, he stayed sure, and he continued to improve to put himself in the position that he is in today. So, yes, he will be right in the running for greatest bantamweight of all time if, Ryan, if he can get this done this weekend. Now, these guys are fighting for the championship. Two guys that want to fight for the championship in a co-main event. You just saw Gilbert Burns. How relaxed is Gilbert Burns? I mean, we're mere days away from him fighting in what is a number one contenders fight. He's as relaxed as they come. But he's taking on a very tough Bilal Muhammad. This fight got added late. This fight is five rounds. This fight will determine, right, for us, who gets the next title shot. We got to be certain at this point, right? Yeah. We have to. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, and I think, I think that's the only reason these two fighters take this fight, right? DC, if you're, if you're Gilbert Burns, you're trying to work your way back to a championship title, right, or to a championship opportunity after getting your shot against Kamaru Usman and being knocked out by the former champion. And if you're Bilal Muhammad, you're just sitting around wondering, what the heck do I have to do to get a shot at the title? Well, this is it. You take yep. this huge fight on short notice. You let the executives of the UFC know, I'm willing to put it on the line at any opportunity. And the winner of this fight, to me, is the undisputed number one contender after Kobe Covington and Leon Edwards finally step into the octagon to settle their score. And when you look at it, though, DC, who has the advantage in this fight when you think both on short notice, Gilbert Burns just fought Jorge Masvidal at the last pay-per-view. Bilal Muhammad takes this on short notice after Ramadan. When you look at a five-round match between these two big-time welterweights, where does the advantage lean? I think we have to say Gilbert Burns, right? I think you would agree with me, being that he just came out of training camp. The fact that it wasn't long after he had beaten Jorge Masvidal that he got the call to fight for the championship. He also told me that the Masvidal was not, the fight was not very tough. He said while the preparation was tough, the fight against Masvidal on April 8th, I mean, a little bit of less than a month ago, he said it wasn't a very hard fight for him. He was relaxed. He was cruising. So I believe that jumping out of training camp, getting ready to come and fight this dude, lends itself to Dorino. But this matchup stylistically is amazing because Bilal Muhammad wants to wrestle you. But how does he wrestle Gilbert Burns when he's a third-degree black belt? Gilbert Burns wants to grapple right. but also can strike. Bilal showed us in the last fight against Sean Brady, he has improved tremendously in his striking. Dude. This fight is exactly what this fight card needed in order to push it over the top. And it even added more excitement to what was, like you said, RC, it could have been, my oh, my went goodness, he went dark. Jason coming. Jason coming. You better hide. Freddie Krueger. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Uh, Wait, I think we're back. I think we're back. back. I think we're back. It's back. It's back. <laughs> RC, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. In boxing, it's a one-card fight, and it felt like that's what we had after Miami. But with the fights that have been added, UFC 288 is an absolute banger. RC, we got to move forward, though. We got to move forward, bro. It's half the year almost. It's time to hand out some yep. awards. As you know, we got the best awards on the, on the Internet. So let's give out some awards, RC. Corporate <laughs> Jake, I don't know if you're doing this or if we're doing it with each other, but um, let me know, Corporate Jake. Are you doing Submissions this on the guys, Mike, or are me and Ryan doing this? Yeah, so right, this is go, the Ryan. submissions Best first. Submission. And so for submission of the year, I'm going to go with Shavkat Brigmanov, rear naked choke or standing rear naked choke of Jeff Neal. And <laughs> if you remember, DC, this fight was a banger, right? Jeff Neal came out, he was banging, he was tough. And it was when Shavkat kind of let us know that, yeah, I'm an undefeated fighter, but my yeah. skill level yeah. is so high and it matches my toughness. I was in the building for this one, and I thought that this was an amazing finish and submission. RC, RC, listen, listen. Uh, <laughs> I'll be having to control myself some time because 
Man, they had my boy Jeff all messed up. You see his face? Man, you see what he's doing to Jeff? Face? He got, Jeff looked like somebody could get this dude picture. off me. And, <laughs> I mean, RC, they did the boy Jeff bad. God dang, Corporate Jake. Y'all could have did my guy a little better than that. My submission is Alexa Grosso submitting yeah. Valentina Shevchenko, Ryan. Dude, we all thought that Valentina would never lose the belt. But it all came down to, wow, she's human. She makes a mistake. Grosso jumps on her back and submits her and literally turns her face into one of them things from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, where when they let her head go, you could see all that white across her neck where the choke was. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, was crazy. One of the most... Dude, it was crazy. I mean, her face was so red that when she let her go, her whole jawline was just white. Yeah. That was a crazy submission as Alexa Grosso became the champion of the world, Ryan. That was my submission. Time for the knockout. I mean, I think this one... I mean, we got we to gotta agree on this one. I don't know if you do... But, dude, it seems pretty easy. It's easy, right? Has to be Adesanya. Yeah. It has to be Adesanya's knockout. Like, (laughs) right? It's Adesanya knocking out Alex Pajeda in Miami, Florida. Bro, to say that they were in their fourth fight, Izzy told you it would be violent. Izzy told you what he was going to do. Izzy delivered. And not only did he knock him out, he put him out cold. So to do that after one fight against a guy that knocked you out, it goes to the last style bender. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with this, DC. It was, to me, it was the shock and the awe of, oh, my God, Alex Pajeda is going to knock him out again. And then all of a sudden, Izzy with the one-two, just as we saw in the first fight at the end of round one. But this time, he gets to finish with the hammer fist. And Izzy's still celebrating that win all over social media. Okay, we're going to go to the female. He's still going. He is so winner. (laughs) He a soul winner bad, he's, isn't he? He's a <laughs> terrible winner. He's a terrible winner, bro. So we're going to go now to the female fighter of the year. And I think this is pretty easy as well, DC. You mentioned Alexa Grasso beating Valentina Shevchenko by submission. We're talking about a fighter in Valentina Shevchenko that we were basically counting out her opponents as they stepped up to try to take the championship belt from her. And you said yourself, DC, before the fight, that Alexa Grasso would be a very tough finish or fight for Valentina Shevchenko. And you were absolutely right because she gets the rear naked choke and puts Valentina Shevchenko out. Yeah, that was surprising. That, you know, I can we pick Zhang Weili? Because you know me, I'm always trying to just pick Zhang Weili because I you think she's pick, the best fighter bro, you're in the to world. Zhang Weili for no, everything. I, I know I do, bro. I always try to pick Zhang Weili. But it's 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 Alexa Grasso. And I think what was most surprising for me was that in the stand-up, she was winning and actually really taking it to yeah. Valentina Shevchenko. And she's our, our female fighter of the year at the midway point. And I, I really don't think it can be questioned as we couldn't question a knockout by uh, Israel Adesanya. Male fighter of the year. RC, who you got? I got Gilbert Burns. And I have Gilbert Burns just based off the fact that Gilbert Burns has become a man of his word. But Gilbert Burns said, I'm trying to get another championship shot and I'm willing to fight anybody, anywhere, at any time. And he's shown that. You start the year with the submission of Neil Magny. Then you dominate Jorge Masvidal. Right off of that domination, Darius Oliveira canceled. No problem. Gilbert Burns steps up to fight to fight Bilal Muhammad. This is a guy that it's only going to be May, and he's been in the octagon three times, or he's going to be in the octagon three times, and he's dominated in his first two outings. I'm definitely going with Gilbert Burns. That's a great one. That's a great one, and I, I thought about picking him. But the guy that I picked, and it's because of who he beat, is Leon Rocky Edwards. Because many thought it was a okay. fluke what happened in Salt Lake City. But then he comes back and he not only beats Kamaru Usman, he does it by decision. And on a lot of judges' scorecards, he did it pretty comfortably, Ryan. Because so many people scored the fight for Edwards even when he lost a point in the fight for grabbing the fence or a low blow or whatever he did. So to yeah. win the fight against a Kamaru Usman after what Kamaru Usman had been, Again, but do it with losing a point and still comfortably going to the middle of the octagon and getting your hand raised. For me, it's Leon Edwards, and we'll get to see him again against Kobe Covington. He beats Kobe Covington this year. He will have beaten 
the guys that have really dominated welterweight since 2018 all the way to 2022 in one year, and that's massive. And last, RC, what is your fight of the year at the midway point? My fight of the year, man, is Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. It was an absolute banger. And you look at the way that Glover Teixeira was able to show his toughness throughout that fight and Jamal Hill's consistent onslaught of striking. I thought it was one of those fights that was wall-to-wall excitement. Both guys fought their absolute hearts out. And it was kind of one of those things. It's like Glover's old. Jamal's not necessarily a top contender. This fight may not be great. And it absolutely delivered on action and excitement. That was a tremendous fight. And it was a star-making performance for Jamal Hill. But, Ryan, I don't know why you didn't pick this one. You were you were right behind me. Fazee versus Gaethje. You saw it as yeah, close it as you can get it was good. to the octagon. Those guys, dude, the ebbs and flows of that fight for Justin Gaethje to start in the way that he did, to be behind, and then not only survive, but truly take it to Rafael Fazeev. Bro, he, by the end of that third round, we had no doubt who had won that fight. And once again, Justin Gaethje proved why he's everybody's favorite fighter, why he's an absolute savage, and why it's almost guaranteed that every time he goes to the octagon, you might as well cut him a $50,000 check for a bonus right away because he never goes and he has no uh, he has no bad fights. So Gaethje versus Fazeev is my fight of the year at this point. Hey, that, that fight had my underarm sweating, bro. It had me checking my degree and trying to see <laughs> if it was going to ever activate. Hey, it was hot down there <laughs> on the floor. Um, but DC, yeah. you know the draft was last week. And the boys at the draft Man. always bring it with the gear. They bring it with the drip. So we're going to yeah. go Step and Fly Draft Edition. And we're going to start out, D.C., okay. with your boy. I know you saw yeah, the like green that. suit, D.C. I know you saw the RC, green suit. I saw it. Had the fire tie RC, on. I saw it. I, I saw came you, with the Prada shoes. I saw when you walk out the hotel. I saw when you walk out, walk out the hotel with that thing. I said, oh, my goodness. Shamrock, good luck, a little leprechaun, my little green leprechaun. Come on. I said, wow, this boy is doing his thing. Hey, Shay, <laughs> shut up, man. Hey, that day was cold. Let's go to the number one overall <laughs> pick, Bryce Young. And I actually asked Bryce after he was drafted. I said, Bryce, okay, how much did you have to do with this outfit? And he started to lie to me and be like, well, I had something to do with it. He's like, I didn't just blindly put it on. But he said he had a team of folks put this together. I thought it was understated. I love the color. And it was the 2023 outfit for the number one overall pick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the bottom of that jacket, though, RC. I'm trying to see the front of it. He ain't. He not wearing a purse. Is he wearing a purse or is that just like the front of the jacket no, that hangs down low it, like that? Yeah, it was, is he? Yeah, it's the front of the coat. It's, it's like an extra added piece okay. to the front of the coat. This some of that oh, that, that new I young he had like a little, stuff, DC. Yeah, I thought he might have had like an accessory or something. You know, I thought I was like, okay, Bryce Young. I mean, I, I like it. I like it. I mean, I'm not one to judge hey, Bryce Young's see, outfit. I mean, yeah, you're not. You are not. CJ Stroud was clean <laughs> though, bro. Listen, this joint was navy and it had like blotches of paint on it so it gave you the professionalism Ooh. and the colors that matched the houston Ooh. texans and then it had kind of oh, this yeah. splatter of paint paint he said i wanted to do something yeah, different but not do too much i thought this was one of the mm. better draft suits that i've seen because it said i'm professional but yeah i'm still 21 yeah, years yeah, old like and then you see the seven on the chain i like this one dc i like that one rc that one now he looked nice cj stroud looked nice you know, he knew, he knew, he knew he was going number two, right? So he, he I, let me, let me give some love to the squad that's going to take me. Hey, I, I'm happy he did that because I don't know, man, not many people celebrating going to play for the Houston Texans. So, uh, at least CJ Stroud positive about it. Yo, maybe he's the guy, Ryan, that changes everything. I don't know. Hey, look at maybe this brother he right here. Hey, Tyree he Wilson, good, hey, Tyree Wilson. Hey, he was clean. He got the whole chest out. I feel like that's how you're going to rock it, DC. That's he, he had the Lewis Riddick chest. Then he had the floral print, and that joint was fitted, too. When he sat down with us with the pivot afterwards, my man couldn't even bend his legs. He had his legs straight when he sat down, D.C., <laughs> but he was clean as <laughs> heck headed to Las Vegas. Hey, that's a money suit. Yeah, that's a money suit, R.C., and guess what, R.C.? 
That looked like some stuff Kamar Usman might try to wear. Because you know Usman never really tried to put a shirt on. But that brother, that was clean. Boy, that brother was clean. He was clean. He had his shirt out. He got his neck. He a big dude. A big dude like that with a, yeah, with a nice suit like that. He I like did. that. Honestly. I like that one. Hey, hey, speaking of big dudes in nice suits, check out Jalen Carter. Now, he had to wait a little while to hear his name called, especially being one of the best picks of the entire draft. But I wore a suit like this the next day. You see the lavender joint. Then it had the strap. He yeah, got the like pin, that. the lapel pin with the initials. My man was clean. And the purple shirt with the the the... The yeah. pocket square to give you a little accent color. DC, we need to see you wear one of these the next time Octagon side. Because they make them for big boys, oh, see, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's a big boy right there. RC, you know what I love the most about this, though, RC? Look at the emotion of the young man. I love that emotion, bro. Like, getting up there, like, really being vulnerable. Yeah. But these cats all picking up Goodell. They picking Goodell up. They hugging him. It's the best when you watch these young men become, like, they become stars. But yeah, my yeah. boy look good. I don't really like, I don't really like Roger Goodell like that. So I wouldn't pick him up. And also here, Jordan Addison, <laughs> right? This is a guy. He played at Pitt. Then he went to USC. Mm -hmm. You see, he brought the Hollywood drip, DC. He got the peak on, the chain that stretches all the way across the chest. I don't know if that one's better than the one Sauce had last year. And then he finishes it off with the bow tie. It almost Sauce. looked like he could be a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Cause you know we <laughs> rock the bow ties, DC. <laughs> I know I saw that. Hey, that boy Sauce, though. That boy Sauce Gardner had that ultra swag last year. I don't think anybody going to ever do what he did. But this dude right here looked nice. I mean, these cats, these cats, like draft night is like the Met Gala. Huh? These dudes looking good out there, man. This, yes, it is. These cats spending money on yes, these suits, too, RC. These boys are not just picking yes, these DC. suits up and going, man, I'm going to get you. These boys look good. Hell yeah. But, DC, this is the outfit I want you to wear. At some point, let's check out James Harden walking into the arena for game one oh, against the Boston Celtics. Bro. Listen, when you I when you it. show up in the snuffleupagus <laughs> joint, you got to go drop 45. <laughs> James Harden said, you know what? I'm about to wear this my outfit. They're going to see me oh, coming in and they're going to watch me on the court balling out. James Harden go for goals for 45. No MVP Joel Embiid. And he had the outfit on to match his game. He said he was going to shine, shine, shine. And I love it. RC, that's my dog, too. Hey, that's my dog. You need to get one of these. My dog look like Snuff and Love Against, man. I saw that, man. I was like, man, what James doing? He always dressed like that, though. He always be doing like, you know, the boy, the boy that said, the boy that said, I wanted to do something but not do too much. Like, he need to call my dog James and be like, yo, James, you don't have to always do too much. Because James, he be doing a lot. But he, he did his thing, though. Hey, GG, but he hey. once again showed when you need him to do what he do, he can still do what he do. But now, time to tap in oh, the tap. They can do that. Hey, I'm going to tap in with my golf team. All right, guys, recently, Max Holloway came out and said he would be open to a second fight versus Conor McGregor, and this time at an open weight. DC, tap in or tap out Holloway-McGregor rematch at an open weight. I tap in, Corporate Jake, but Max, Max is like, he'd be open to a fight against Conor McGregor. Everybody's open to a fight against Conor McGregor. So, Max, sure, Max, yeah, I would love to see y'all fight because you're my dog. And I would love to see you get the money that accompanies a fight with Conor McGregor. So, yes, I tap all the way in. But it ain't like Max Holloway's doing some big grand thing that not anyone else do. Hell, yeah. I don't even fight no more, and I'd fight Conor McGregor. <laughs> yeah, I 100% I, I, I tap in on this. And I think when Max says this, it lets you know kind of the purgatory he's in as long as Alexander Volkanovsky is the champion of the division he fights in. All right, former welterweight champion Kamar Usman had some thoughts about his path back to a title. I think, uh, you know, a fight with myself and Hamza, boom. And if he keeps winning, I think that that's, that's a fourth fight for sure. He's a fighter. Hamza's a fighter, and I'm a fighter. At the end of the day, you can't run away from, like I said, I fight these guys' heart, not their weight. You know, I, I've been able to deal with middleweights in the gym and, and sometimes light heavyweights in the gym. So, you know, for me, it's not necessarily the weight, but, you know, if he wants a shot at that welterweight strap, you kind of have to, you know, give a little bit and show that, hey, I can get down here. Yeah. So, you know, if he's able to do it, yeah, potentially. And if it's up at a weight, yeah, potentially as well. RC, tap in or tap out on Hamzat versus Usman.
I tap in. I, I don't think I don't tap in on Hamzat being able to get down to 170 and actually make the weight or care to make the weight. But to see Kamaru Uzman, the former welterweight champ against Hamzat Chamayev, especially with the banger that we saw with Hamzat and Gilbert Burns, I tap all the way in on seeing this fight. And it says a lot about Kamaru Uzman understanding he needs a win like this to stay relevant mm. and have that opportunity to, play, to fight against Leon Edwards for a fourth time. That's my dog. That's my dog, RC. You literally just took my point. I tap in, RC, but it, I tap in on the fight because I think it's an amazing fight. But I also, it tells me to stay to where Kamaru Usman is in his career yep. and his mindset in regards to what he will have to do in order to try to get another championship opportunity. When I'm not sure we've ever heard him say Hamzat's name before when he was the champ, we never yeah. heard him say anything about Hamzat. No. This speaks to where he is right. in his career and his willingness to try to get back. All right, guys, last one. A former opponent of Usman, Jorge Masvidal, recently retired following a loss to Gilbert Burns. He seems to be wavering on said retirement. People would assume I cried for many days after I retired, not because I'm so hurt or this and that, just because I love this sport. Since 11, 12 years old, this is all I did, you know. Whether it was in the karate class, and then after that I went and took a kung fu class that night, but I've been training once or twice a day, every day for this, waking up just in love with what I do and, and being in love with the same thing for 20 years. And it's so much love and passion in my heart. So I'll, I'll never say like, I'll never come back, you know, because I love this sport so much in, in a moment. I, I could have so many great memories that, that just fill me, that'll stay with me forever about this sport. So I'll never say I can't come back. DC, tap in or tap out on Mazadal already saying that he might come out of retirement. I, I tap out because I think that he had, he probably had the best ending that he could have had in Miami. People adored him. He didn't really get beat up or hurt that bad by Gilbert Burns. But as you age, if you're a guy that for a long time has kind of been uh, okay, right? Masvidal's a, a fantastic mixed martial artist, but he hasn't ever been the best in the world. If you haven't been the best in the world and you start to hang around too long, it only gets worse. We have seen it time and time again where those guys that are kind of good but not the best stay, they end up getting knocked out. I think, I think this is probably his best case. Fighting one of the best in the world in front of your home fans and not getting absolutely demolished. Should stay away from the game. Yeah. I tap out, I tap out on him. Uh, unretiring or even wavering. I think he did it the the right way. He had a he had a fairy tale ending, and that's the way that Jorge Masvidal should lead the sport. DC, this one was fun, bro. What are you What are you gonna it do in New Jersey man. the rest of the week? Like fighters um, sitting on your lap. Oh, I'm saying they gonna tap you. Yeah, out. yeah, it was a good it was a good time. I'm Santa Claus. I'm Santa Claus. It, Santa Claus, uh, it's just, Santa Claus came to the ghetto. But Ryan, I'm going to, uh, you remember <laughs> that song? That Santa Claus came to song. the ghetto. I mean, it's my favorite Christmas song. It's my Santa favorite Claus, Christmas song. That's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dog. Um, so, uh, Ryan, Thursday, I'm doing get up. I'm doing first take. Then I'm going to do max on Friday. Okay. So I'm just going to work. You know, DC's on the West Coast, so they're going to put your boy to work. Just like they put you to work every week. What's your what's the rest of your week look like, my brother? Man, listen, bro, I'm gonna chill after this, man. I'm gonna do some shows with the pivot, and then I'm gonna head home and just enjoy my family. Like I'm ready for the fight this weekend, man. Henry Cejudo, Aljermaine Sterling, my boy DC is gonna be there. It's gonna be a raucous crowd in New Jersey. I'm Ryan Clark. That's two division champ Daniel Cormier and Hall of Famer. Holla at y'all. <laughs>